everybody. Welcome to another Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, my co-host, as always, Charles William Carpenter III. <laughs> and our guest today, I believe, are you also a third, Preston? I am. Yeah. I thought I saw that. Oh. So uh, what's your full name? Let's just make it all official for all of us here. Yeah. So my first name is not Preston. My full name is Lewis Preston Siegel III. Nice. And I think I've heard some of your previous podcasts, and there are some other people who are going by their middle names and oh, yeah. also have suffixes. Yeah. Yeah. It's more popular than you expect. Yeah. Surprising to me. We're going to change the theme of the podcast to just thirds only. All right, I'm in. <laughs> well, then I can't be on. You guys got it from here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, Robbie. Uh, yeah. You're out. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, most people probably don't even realize that your name is Preston because you are Nullvox Populi everywhere. Yeah. What's the origins behind that? Okay, so I think it was in college or university, if there, we have international listeners. <laughs> so my old alias was from way back when I was, I think, 13. And I had just grown out of that. So I was looking for something new and I wanted something to kind of kind of reflect what I do and kind of my view on the world a bit. So I was, had already done a lot of programming coursework. So I was like, programming is going to be a big part of who I am. And then at the time, and like today, this is a little cringy, but I was into V for Vendetta, mm. like before it was cool, before it had all these connotations added around it. Mm. And at the time, I also had the main character, V, his speech with like 40 some V words memorized. And one of the phrases in there was Vox Populi, which means the voice of the people. So... Since I was into programming, I was like, okay, how do I combine these things? And then null is kind of like not nothing. So it loosely kind of can be Englishized to no voice of the people or a non-existent voice of the people, which kind of reflects a bleak look I have on how we're all kind of cogs in a machine that we can't control. <laughs> oh. We better drink before we get too political here. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, we didn't get too far into that. But that's an interesting deal. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you were more clever than me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and start with this whiskey here. I did not open mine yet. Hopefully it's not hard to open. <sighs> oh, see, I yeah, pro tip is open before you start recording. Oh. Yeah. I usually do, but I've been busy setting up this room behind me, which mm. you can see the awesome like slop sink behind me. Yeah, it's very looks great. It's premium. Yeah. So this is the Malahat. It's a good sound. Yeah. Malahat Spirits Company, handcrafted, not by machines. It is uh, 100% rye. It's like it's a small batch from San Diego, which not everybody knows means whale's vagina. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh, what I could find on the internet is it's aged at least two years in 30-gallon barrels, and it is 92 proof. So, Thanks. see where that goes. I was not prepared for the whale's vagina joke. <laughs> I mean, how could you not expect that to come? Anytime you say San Diego. <laughs> That's what it means. Smells fun. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like grassy smell for me. Mm. Like fresh Cut grass clippings, I like to say. So musty. I'm getting a little, uh, like, kiwi on the smell. Hmm. Interesting. You always seem to pick up on the sweeter smells. I don't know. I'm just trying to identify something that's not, like, just a normal whiskey taste. Hmm. I think for me, I'm tasting, like, now, I'm not at all a whiskey connoisseur at all, but. I'm feeling a little cherry. Hmm. Yeah, I could kind of get some of that yeah. in the initial flavoring. And then I get a little bitter. What kind of bitter, though? And then it just has that 
woody, leathery finish for me. Not bad. Pretty smooth. A little a little hug in there. Yeah. But I could see, yeah, like some fruitness in the beginning and cherry. That kind of makes sense for me. Got that like sour, tart kind of sweet. Hmm. Not bad. It's not bad. You can tell it's a little bit young. Yeah, it's not super robust. Like 100% rye I was expecting to like knock me out of my chair. Yeah, like a lot of peppery or something. But yeah, not bad. bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> so not bad is the uh, official <laughs> review, I guess. We can decide a little more on. Uh, yeah, what made us select this one? Malahat. I never heard of it. I went on Fine Cask, who should sponsor us if they ever happen to listen to this, mm-hmm. and uh, bought. Just went to like the rye section and picked one. <laughs> there you go. They really sold you. Yeah. <laughs> it does have a ship on the front. I like their label. Yeah. Yeah. It's got a ship on the front, and we are all about nautical themes. Mm-hmm. Fun fact it did not have a ship on the front on Fine Cask, I don't think. I think they've changed their label. Mm. Just for you. Yep. Yeah. Special shipment. <laughs> That's right. It was a barrel pick <laughs> and custom label. No, not at all. But <laughs> yeah, I could see this as being. Fairly drinkable. I'm going to dive into the yeah. the next part, which is our eight tentacle strict rating system. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just kind of compare it to rise. I'm going to start to segregate a little bit between my brown juices. <laughs> and compared to other rise, I would put this at like a four or five. Hmm. Kind of in that realm. Like, it's not bad. It's drinkable. But it's not like, oh, wow. Can't wait to have this over... Like Sagamore, you know, Sagamore, like think about it that way. Yeah. Sagamore is kind of our, our rye. It's like a sweet spot. It's got a good price point. I have no idea what this costs. And that usually does affect my thoughts on it. But I think it's like 50 or 60 bucks or something. Not terrible. Yeah. 60 bucks I'd get, you know, like a barrel strength Sagamore. Yeah. Before I got this. So I'm going to give it a four. For me, it, it's got good flavor. It's got nothing that disappoints me from like being a traditional rye. It's just, I think it's too young. It tastes kind of watery. Mm. So for that only, I'm going to say five. All right. Yeah. So I like that I tasted a flavor that one of you also detected. So that's extra points for me. (laughs) I have a a coffee subscription and they have like the flavors on them. And I like to try to play the game of guess the flavor before looking at the bag. Mm. I'm often wrong. And then this does go down smoothly for me and since i'm not a whiskey person i think that's that's a good quality to have Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go maybe five and a half six Mm. i could definitely drink this again share it with people be like hey this is yeah this is good stuff this is gonna taste good yeah yeah and there's cherry in there right yeah well (laughs) and i say that no one is wrong though there's no like wrong guesses i mean People's palates are different and you can influence it by like throwing words out there that they might be able to associate similarly, but there's no wrong answer necessarily. And uh, a wise man once said to me, the best whiskey is the one you like. That's the best one for you. Yeah, I'm sure there's people that like Jack Daniels better than everything else. Mm-hmm. They're not me, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they aren't me either. That's weird. <laughs> but hey, you know, if it works for them, it fine oh i don't care yeah get the thing you like yeah yeah we're all just consuming it yeah yep that's a good perspective on life to have regardless of what it is whiskey web or whatnot (laughs) that's right the best framework is the one you like yeah (laughs) it's a good segue there's some debate there (laughs) (laughs) well define best it's so ambiguous in a way like best experience best Mm. what best for you to create the project best for consumers of said yeah application like i don't know what's best mean well define framework too because react is not a framework it's not it's a library (laughs) that's gotten ambiguous yeah (laughs) i guess you can i mean get really build an app with just react i mean i guess you can make up a bunch of other parts building it with just glimmer yeah one time i built a uh slideshow in just glimmer that was it nice i haven't done that i haven't even well i tried to make a glimmer app once and then it aired and i well that was the end of it (laughs) (laughs) this was like five six years ago or something like right after it was announced at emberconf and i was still doing ember and uh, I did a local JS talk on it and did my slides in Glimmer. 
Nice. It was like, oh, that was cool. And then I never, ever touched it again. Yeah. Yeah. Story of my life. So, yeah, you've been around the Ember community a while doing lots of things. Always see new experiments and add-ons and things coming out from you. So that's pretty cool. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into Ember? Yeah. So it started with my first job out of college. And this was... The segue to this was in 2011, where I was hired full-time by a local company who was using Rails, and one of my coworkers a year or two later was really pushing for using a single-page app and kind of trying to get the interface more interactive and app-like, and they chose Ember. I wasn't touching any of this at the time, but I was doing more backend stuff, real stuff. But after I left that company and wanted to try starting my own thing, which was an event registration system, I was like, all right, I'd heard of the Ember thing. My coworker who I, I trust and value their opinion very, very highly really liked Ember. So I tried it and this was pre-Ember 1 still. So very old. And I had forgotten all of this. So I had kind of recently talked about how I'd gotten into Ember at Emberfest. And I had totally forgotten all of this past Ember experience. (laughs) And I don't know if that was just because of the trauma of using something (laughs) pre-1.0. But it was interesting. I don't know if... I finished porting the Rails UI to Ember. I eventually sunset the project because it was more work than I was making money from it. But that's how I got introduced to Ember. And at the time when I was asking most of the questions in the Ember Slack, there was this person, Alex Speller. They they helped me learn everything I know today. So shout out to them wherever they are. I think Canada, right? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Last I checked, I don't know. That's um, from Isle of Code, right? Or is am I getting that wrong? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, not important. Continue. All right. But yeah, so I censored that project, and then I was doing Angular and React for a long time. And I was really liking React. So this takes me to 2019, when I was kind of like on the side revamping my Ember knowledge just for fun. I had seen some interesting things happening. I don't know where. Maybe maybe I was still in the Ember Slack. Maybe I saw a post on Twitter or something. But I saw that TypeScript and native classes were becoming a thing in Ember. And this is when native classes were still fairly new. Like React was already using them before they migrated away from them. <laughs> but Knowing what Ember was and knowing that I could use all this modern stuff was really interesting to me. So this was around Ember 3.1. So I was trying to use TypeScript, native classes, and then as soon as I could, I picked up decorators. And I built a chat app because the scope of that can start small and then it gets ridiculous if you try to do anything serious with it. But it was a really good way to figure out how to use the framework. But then in 2019, I spoke at EmberConf comparing React and Ember. And a now coworker was like, hey, there's this company, CrowdStrike. You should apply. Mm. And I was like, they sound cool. Security is cool. (laughs) I had a big interest in security in college. And I applied and I'm still there today. And now I do Ember all the time. Nice. Yeah, I remember that talk, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I remember your comparison talk. And I think you wrote a follow-up article, or maybe it was the other way around. But I was like, now, see, this is nice. This isn't like like a gang war where you pick your team and, like, you know, you're oh, this stinks because of this, this stinks because of this. You were, like, gave a really, like, clear delineation between like this is how it's done here and this is how it's done here and they accomplish similar goals yeah like i uh i really appreciated that and i feel like it was just like a Thanks. whole different context than anybody had taken in that comparison yeah i really like clinical comparisons 
between things. Because if you have any emotion whatsoever in a comparison article, you're going to upset one of the sides and you don't, right. don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. That's why we don't let Robbie write about hooks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like yeah. really angry about hooks and functional components. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've had so many mixed feelings about hooks and function components. Yeah. So I adopted them pretty quick when they came out and I love them. But when members auto tracking started coming out, it got me thinking maybe hooks is a step backwards. Mm, yeah. Like we're, we're starting to add these dependency lists again. And I don't know. I mean, I know why react is doing that but it feels like an ergonomics loss and i'm excited to see what starbeam can do with that mm. i trying to pay attention to starbeam haven't used it yet but yeah, yeah. kind of looks like it's bringing auto tracking to react and that seems cool yeah i agree yeah that's definitely my plan if i ever have to do react is make it as embery as possible and just go with it. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's some people that have an entire business model around that. They're like, oh, they had some good ideas, but it's not the popular thing. So let's mm-hmm. let's pull it over here. There's some of that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm kind of like 50-50. Like, I actually like functional components. I think like dumb functional components, just very straightforward and easy. Yeah. Hooks, on the other hand, is just like, well, this is better than sagas and funk and all this other <laughs> thing facts but yeah i hated all that too marginally <laughs> yeah i mean solid js makes it good mm. they're kind of the the ember plus react best of both worlds interesting mm. i haven't used it professionally but no i read some really good things about it and that's funny because uh, we were talking about some frameworks earlier today and i was trying to remember the name of that one mm. boom you did it Woo. i think we might be talking to the guy from or some guy from that. Let me check here. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing when I just show up to these things. Robbie does the planning and reaching out and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a guy from Solid JS. So we'll hear from him oh, cool. sometime in the next few weeks. Yeah. I like Starbeam abstracting that reactivity and like bringing it to the rest of the world. Yeah. Maybe that'll be like a really smart, cool framework that goes together that's like Starbeam, React. I'm React Beam. I'm actually <laughs> reacting now. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned that it's not the first attempt at a agnostic reactivity system. View has one, but it's using like the name it's published under heavily implies that it's just for view. Mm-hmm. So I've been wondering if like that's been holding it back, but I don't know. I'm hoping Starbeam takes off though. People just don't use stuff unless someone says it's cool. Like, that's the bottom line. You have to really be doing research to find a thing that's better. Like, if it doesn't have 50,000 stars on GitHub and, like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Then you're like, all right, well, now I have to look and see if it's actually cool and, like, dig into it. Whereas I could just take everyone's word for something and use that. (laughs) So You get the right people evangelizing it, right? You need this whole, like, Mm -hmm. and then that makes a difference for sure. It's hiring easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> cart of the horse thing, but like Remix is benefiting quite a bit in Kent and uh, I'm sure adoption will kind of follow. Remix is interesting because they keep posting all these things that are just like, <laughs> look at the MDN docs. And then I've been trying to like retweet them. And like, here's how you do this in Ember following the MDN docs. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So way you can do two-way binding on inputs without any Ember stuff using just MDN's documentation. Hmm. Wait, I thought two-way binding bad. What happened to data down actions up? No more two-way binding. Well, yeah, the only exception, though, is on your your form inputs, because no one wants to put value in on-change on every input. Mm, that's true. It's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Svelte brought it back. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean... Server-side render. I mean, basically, the server renders our pages now. We are single-page apps. And now, actually, since hardware upgrades and edge workers and blah, 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 all these other things, we just render sites on the mm-hmm. on the server again. So, I don't know. It's all PHP. Yeah, we're just going back to PHP. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> WordPress is cool again. Is that what we're trying to say here? Please don't. 
yeah. That's a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess I haven't really kept up with everything you've been experimenting with. Do you want to tell us a little bit about some of the things you've done recently that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, there's um, a couple things. So the thing that people can use today and is pretty stable, it's been out for a while, is a library I have called Ember Resources. And that is a spiritual successor to a library called Ember Could Get Used to This from Zurek or one of the Chris's. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, it is kind of trying to be... I don't know if I'd say a polyfill, but some of the reactivity ideas that Starbeam is bringing, Ember Resources has. And then it's like resources to me are like the missing gap since Octane. So like Octane was introduced a couple of years ago and you couldn't comfortably convert your old app into all of these new auto tracking paradigms because we just had concepts that were missing. One of those were resources. They allow you to turn non-synchronous stuff into derived data. And that could be evented things. It could be something as simple as an async function. It could be something that maintains its own state. They are helpers that can be used in both templates and JavaScripts and provide some API for you to use. And the goal is for you to not care when the value will exist. You can just be certain that it will have a value. You don't need to worry about awaiting or calling events on it or error handling or anything. Just takes care of everything for you. So is this kind of similar then like on the JavaScript side to what the templates have kind of always done in Ember where like a thing might be loading or whatever and whenever it comes in the template will just show it but you can now kind of just say just do that in javascript kind of so in the templates that only worked if the loading state the value and all of that were tracked like if you just had a promise you wouldn't be able to resolve that value there are some helpers to get around that but they wrapped reactivity around promises but most generally, that is a solid use case for resources. Gotcha. Yeah, I had seen them when uh, Zurak had the experiment thing and never really read into what they were or what I should use them for. Yeah. Because there's so many like things like that out there. You know, him and like Robert Jackson and people just throw up crazy named repos and you're like, <laughs> I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. Why should I use that? Yeah, I think the most obvious and beneficial use case is for data loading. Just because loading anything async is a pain in the butt. And I have a another library, Ember Data Resources, which I don't know if anyone uses, but it takes like the find all, find record, query, all those methods and turns them into resources. So you can use them in the template and in JavaScript and kind of just use derived data patterns to work with data and know that you'll have an up-to-date record or model or whatever it is. Hmm. So how does that work if it is like you try to access it in another place and it's still loading? Does it just wait? It like awaits internally or something? For the Ember data case, I don't know. I think it would depend on how Ember data itself handles concurrent requests to the same resource. If it were up to me, I would kind of treat those as the same and then just have both in the in a pending or loading state until the request finishes. Gotcha. Makes sense. I'm not an Ember data expert. Who is <laughs> other than Runspired? I was gonna say we know a guy. <laughs> yeah. And I bet I bet he'd be happy to teach you a few things. <laughs> yeah. This is how you do that. Please review some pull requests. <laughs> yeah, there was a bug in Ember Data, or there was until last night. And it had been sitting in PR and I pinged him and was like, hey, can we merge this? He was like, okay. So like, (laughs) he's responsive and gets stuff done. He just needs a little push sometimes. Squeaky wheel. There's another resources demo that I really like that um, Yehuda came up with. It is a clock. And all it does is just set interval on one second and it updates a value. Just sets a value to new date. And then you can 
like in your template, just have a reference to this resource and it'll just update on its own. And what I like about that is that in React, doing anything with set timeout or set interval is a pain in the butt. And using a resource to have a recurringly updated value is just so easy. So I really like that demo. Nice. Very interesting. So that's a demo using resources associated with Starbeam or associated with your stuff? Yes. Okay. Yes, both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have a demo with Ember Resources, and then Yehuda has a bunch of demos on the Starbeam docs. Mm. But no docs on the Starbeam docs, or at least last I checked. (laughs) (laughs) There are docs on using Starbeam with React and information about the timeline. Mm. Maybe I didn't look hard enough. They're new. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I looked like the day after his talk and it was like docs are coming or something like yep (laughs) they were not there (laughs) so let's see what else is exciting in i guess anything i mean you've been into react and ember and js in general like what are you excited about coming out soon so tech wise i'm excited about a lot of things laris next edition of ember is pretty cool i really like the template the like i don't know what call it it's like if you imagine jsx with the template tag and then ignore jsx in between that could be how to describe that but the rfc is first class component templates and it solves the biggest complaint that new hires have at my work where people are just like i don't know how to find this thing how do you find the thing isn't it right next to the js yeah or is it not? Well, <laughs> when we're using the, the template, the first class component template syntax, it will be right right next to the thing. So like like you're importing a component from a library. Mm-hmm. You'll see that in the file. Ah, uh, yeah. Like you won't need to... You don't have to know if you made it or... CD into yeah. node modules and then, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a big benefit. Yeah, and then kind of outside of programming, I really like the framework laptop. It is fully open source hardware and they have this whole community around designing little components for the pluggable USB slots. Hmm. So the interface for these things is all USB-C and then they give you like a two inch square by, I don't know how many millimeters tall, but anything you can fit in that space, you can make a custom port for. (laughs) So... And you can, because it's USB-C, you can hot swap these things out while the computer's on. So I have USB-A and C ports, and there's an HDMI port that I can plug in if I need it. Some people have an SD card slot that they can plug in. So how does that work with, uh, like, if you design one, right? Mm-hmm. Are there, like, third-party stores where you just don't know if it's actually legit, or do they all, like, end up in, like, getting vetted and released through the real company or something? I don't know. I haven't bought one yet. Oh, okay. Like I've bought the official ones. Gotcha. But I assume that the development and creation of these things would require whoever is doing the creating to figure out how to print a circuit board Mm. or how to outsource that. Right. And then 3D print the hardware to stick it in the machine. Oh, you even got expansion cards, one terabyte expansion card. Yeah. Looking now. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So here's the real question. Yeah. Can you run a Hackintosh on it? <laughs> I haven't tried. I am violently against macOS. So. Mm. <laughs> Violent. <laughs> this is what inspires a voice in Nullbox. Yes. Yeah. Say more. What's wrong with macOS? Yeah. I think macOS is actively hostile to developers. And. That is in part because Apple has a very specific goal for their hardware. And I feel like developers kind of become second-class citizens. So maybe you're familiar with installing Xcode to do literally anything on your computer. But Mm -hmm. if you're using Ubuntu, for example, that's my favorite Linux, you only need to install one package called Build Essentials. And it takes less than a minute. Mm. And I think last time I looked at 
Xcode, it's like many, many gigabytes and it takes a long time to install and download. Mm-hmm. So for me, it is much, much, much faster to have some machine, install Linux on it, set up my dev environment, and then get to programming than it is to have a pre-installed Mac OS and then get that going. Yeah. There are definitely a lot of extra steps. Like you got to start yeah. with homebrew and then mm-hmm. like install all the things. I usually get a different terminal immediately and, you know, all that stuff. I, I just have a dot .files repo and bring that, run those scripts, and then kind of does that in the background for me. But I don't sit down. I go, I go make some coffee and then I make a second coffee. <laughs> then, you know, oh, yeah. To drink while you're drinking your coffee? Yeah, and then I, uh, I it just tells you the time lapse. So I'm not disagreeing. Uh, I'm just saying that like, <laughs> I don't sit there and hit the buttons. I like let these things happen. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's hard to beat second coffee. <laughs> I think you said second whiskey. I sure I will. Oh, <laughs> I also poured a second whiskey. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not sure where you're located, but for me, it's still uh, it's like two forty five. But it's Friday. I have, yeah, 544. Mm-hmm. Sierra. I'm in Indianapolis. Oh, I've been there. Crossroads of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I had some friends in college that went to schools there, so went a few times. I can't say I've seen much of it, Indy. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of cornfields on the way there. I mean, corn's delicious. Mm-hmm. It's in everything. No, you go... You go too far south and they mess it up somehow. <laughs> oh, those fighting words. Those fighting words. What are you trying to say? Like street corn or something? Yeah. Like street corn or like, okay, southern corn slathered in butter or whatever. That's fine for you. Well, they like burn it. Yeah. I think it was Nashville. And apologies to anyone who loves the corn at Nashville. But I just wanted a corn on the cob, just grilled. But they, they burned half of it. And I don't like the char. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Nashville's known for its corn primarily. I think it's known for its <laughs> the music, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, the music for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Barbecue. I feel like everywhere in the South is known for barbecue. Their corn based beverages, maybe? I mean Jack Daniels has corn in it. Jack Daniels is essentially bourbon, aside from it being filtered in maple flavored charcoal. That's what kills it. Interesting. Yep. So sour mash is a normal process for bourbons and yeah, everything about it. It is primarily corn and that's all federally regulated. And then the fact that they flavor it, that's what screws it up. Hmm. Interesting. So speaking of corn, I've, I've learned that corn used to be really cool. Like the corn with a K or a C C. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not the band. <laughs> Yeah, they maybe did used to be really cool, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's why I'm clarifying. The yellow corn we think of now is just like really boring and like overly genetically engineered to produce the most money or whatever. But corn used to be multicolored and it would like cross pollinate with other species of corn. And like there's so many different species of corn and i have not tasted any of them yeah i need to yeah if you get corn from like a farm stand or something they'll have that a lot of times where it's like multi different colors and stuff mm-hmm. yeah there are tons of different strains and i can't remember what country it was but i remember watching some cooking show where they were bringing back all these heirloom strains of corn in like mexico and south america so like central and south america there's places where they're bringing back all of those variations and their flavor variations, various sugar contents. and Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, a whiskey that's made from all Jimmy Red corn. Hmm. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't. But it apparently almost went extinct. They uh, like had two ears of it left or something and like grew it back into a real thing. Yeah. Well, that's scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only having two left. Yeah. You're right. Well, apparently the states used to have like hundreds of variations of apples. And for similar reasons, we like pared it down to the ones we were more easily able to harvest and people wanted and whatever else. But it's like um, Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's place. Apparently they've been storing seeds there for years and years and like bringing back some of them. Mm, Nice. Fun facts. That's a little more whatnot, but this is all right. 
<laughs> we're solidly in into whatnot here now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so wait, it says here in notes that you're a Pinochle fan? Yeah. Are you secretly a retiree in a retirement home or something? <laughs> no. Pinochle is a young person's game. <laughs> it's coming back. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, believe me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, you're a young well then it's not for me because I'm not a young person, so like solidly in- Well, I mean Yeah. Pinochle is really fun. Yeah. So I used to think it was a regional thing. I grew up in Minnesota mm. and my family is all about Pinochle. But when I moved to Indiana, everyone was all like, Euchre. And I'm just like Yes. Yes. No, I hate it. I love Euchre. <laughs> Oh, see. <laughs> Oof. Those would be fighting words with my wife. Have you played Pinochle, Chuck? I haven't. No, I haven't played it. So then you don't know then. But Euchre's good. <laughs> Euchre's fun. I'm not debating that. I'm just saying you can't say like, what's better if you haven't played. Yeah, that's true. I'm not saying what's better. I just had uh, viewed it as a game for older people. Yeah. Well, I know that my grandpa learned and played in the war. So, like, <laughs> that's probably where a lot of older people learned it from. It is an old game. Yeah. Yeah. The war? Which war? I think at this age. World War Two. Yeah. That was the war because we were in it. It's the last real war. Like, whoa. Depends on your definition of real, I guess. But we got wars current going on today. Currently, yeah, the last <laughs> war. Currently now. Well, the last one the U.S. was in that was like everyone was in and like, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, now, now everyone's too afraid to participate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the end of the world is pretty scary, I think. Yeah, I it would is, be afraid yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> don't poke the bear, literally. <laughs> but Pinochle still has Trump. You still have tricks. You have more variety into how you score and interact with the Trump and tricks. And I think there's quite a bit more strategy too. There's also quite a bit more ways to mess up. Mm. There's like team pinochle too, where you play you and the person across the table and then two other people doing the same thing. You just cooperatively try to get more points than the other team. Yeah, kind of like Euchre in that sense then. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that it was both either a team or individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can do three or four. And three-person Pinochle. There's this blind in the middle of the table that you start with, and you bid on that. So everyone's competing against each other and just gambling out the wazoo for what could be in those three cards in the middle of the table. And some people will just go all out completely ludicrous hoping for very specific cards and they usually don't get them it's fun to watch just like any card game yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say there's a poker element there that's like a texas hold Mm -hmm. with the blind and all that yeah interesting yep yeah i recently played some poker the other night and i always forget that like a two pair only beats one pair Mm -hmm. because i get two pair and i'm like no one can beat my hand this is amazing (laughs) and then i'm like Wait a minute. This is not good. <laughs> this is not three of a kind. This is not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not all the other things. It seems like it should be harder to get. Like it's two pairs. But anyway. <laughs> three of the same, I think, statistically are harder to get, which is why it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a hot second where I was trying to make Pinochle on the web. And then I got overwhelmed and distracted. And then that's just kind of sitting there on GitHub and Hmm. not being touched. (laughs) Well, after I don't have like a thousand jobs, I'll help you with that. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really fun to play with the web animation API to animate the thing you're never going to actually use, which is the opening and closing of your hand of cards. (laughs) Yeah, but that's fancy. Yeah, that does sound fun. (laughs) It demos nice. Yeah, there was a blackjack one that did a lot of fancy animations. I forget where it was. I saw it maybe a long time ago, maybe like eight years ago. But I was like, oh, let me just copy all of this and like make something. I never did, but. I was motivated by dislike of this library, GSAP, mm-hmm. by the Green Sock people. And I was just like, there's no way in 2020 that we need a library for animation. No. Yeah, it's a huge library, too. Yeah. They have like a light version, I think, too, but I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, because isn't that the one that like Chris Coyer talks about using for SVG animations or something? Does he? Yeah, I did some like... Who's Chris Coyer? I don't know. Nobody's heard of him. Well, JK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> CSS tricks, RIP. Ooh. No, it's it's still a thing. He's just not involved. I still visit them. Yeah, but he doesn't own it. He doesn't run it anymore. But someone does. Yeah, DigitalOcean bought it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He's got that Trix money now. Mm-hmm. I like DigitalOcean. Yeah. I got, I got a nice logo. I thought Trix were for kids. <laughs> anyway. YAML for kids? What? I don't know where we're <laughs> devolving. No, you said he's got that Trix money. Yeah. It's like, I thought Trix were for kids. Oh, I see the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Is that still around? Is that still a thing? Trix? Is that a cereal? Yeah. Yeah. They keep going back and forth between like little ball shapes and like the real fruit shapes. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, I want just that's basically kicks with with flavor, right? So you got to tricks or kicks. I never connected those dots, but yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, so you, you got to stay little circles, I think. I don't know. What did I have? I tried not Apple Jack. I don't know. I tr- Fruit Loops. I tried Fruit Loops because I have kids and you followed your nose wherever it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I just <laughs> followed it to the pantry where they chose this cereal once. And I was like, oh, yeah, I used to love this. And it's like, it's like the lemon one tastes like pine salt or something like sugary mm. pine salt. I don't know. Maybe it's just my palate at this point. <laughs> Destroyed yeah. through whiskey. But I was like, gross. Why would you guys eat this? And I'm like, we love it, dad. <laughs> what cereal do you like? I don't really eat cereal. So I like the more boring ones. I've gotten real boring with my grain based breakfast. Yeah, like Special K or something like that. I used to like fruit and fiber or something. Wheaties plus granola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm on that team. I like uh, yeah. <laughs> Raisin Bran Crunch. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. And my wife is like, why do you eat that shit? Like, this stuff tastes terrible. So I, I get all the cereal to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched this documentary on the Kellogg guy and he like created cereals as part of his like diet program. It was like this whole health and diet thing. So they used to be healthy. They weren't second ingredient sugar. Right. It was like very (laughs) bland and plain and like, you know, cardboardy tasting, but it was like part of his like weight loss program, turn of the century stuff. And then the post guy is the one who used to work for him and he branched off and started making cereals and then he started like flavoring them to make them tastier. Mm. And then he made all the money. Well, of course. Yeah. Sugar is like the most addictive thing, like more than any drug. Well, Meriwether Post inherited all that money. And uh, and then she bought that big house in D.C. where they where she recovered all the like Russian relics and stuff. And Mar-a-Lago was actually her uh, winter property. What? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Meriwether Post built Mar-a-Lago originally. Hmm. Nuts. Yep. Fun facts. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> So I think the real thing we're here to talk about is StarCraft, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so got the hat. My hat has the StarCraft 20 anniversary logo on it. The gray hat was on the Blizzard store for a while. But mm. StarCraft shaped my life in a lot of ways. I started in college. A lot of things started in college. Mm-hmm. But I started with StarCraft 2 in the beta. And this was during the summer of 2010. So I guess for those who don't know, StarCraft is an RTS. What's an RTS? Oh, real-time strategy. (laughs) Acronyms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are three factions that the player can play as. So there's Terran, which is humans. There's Protoss, which is like this alien kind of telekinetic sort of species. And then there is the Zerg, which are these like sentient hive mind bug things. People kind of think they're gross, but they're what I gravitated towards. And during the beta, I was trying all of these races and I really fell in love with how asymmetric the strategy was between these three races and how between Terran, Protoss, and Zerg, even on the same map that you're playing on games can just be wildly different based on various timings and strategies and i was playing a lot in college did you play 1v1 or play with other people oh yeah oh yeah playing the ladder but i would play with other other people because you know I, i had friends who like starcraft and team games just get absolutely ridiculous 
because you can have people who will kind of just protect themselves and then build up a massive army and then unleash it all at once. It's a risky strategy, but it's absolutely hilarious when it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I play with my friend and he plays Zerg and just messes mm-hmm. with them the whole beginning. And then I come in with all carriers at the end. Ah, classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I just looked up that it's on N64 and I recently got a recall box, which has all these system emulators and like a ton of ROMs. Well, that's StarCraft 1 on N64. Mm-hmm. What, you don't know? There's no, no, don't do it? No, you can. I'm saying they don't have StarCraft 2 on N64. That was StarCraft 1. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you'd effectively play with a controller. Especially an N64 controller. Who designed that thing? <laughs> it's just meant to like move back and forth. I don't know. Yeah, that's a little weird. Like it's for three hands. I don't use that. <laughs> I use the eight eight bit though controller. I have an SN30 Pro, which kind of looks like the old school SNES controllers, mm-hmm. but then it has like, well, yeah, it has all the extra handles and stuff on there. So it's kind of fun. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your uh, highest rank in StarCraft? So in 2012. I was like high diamond and two thirds of my games were against masters players. And then I had to take a really long break because my carpal tunnel started <laughs> flaring up. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and then I just never recovered, never got the muscle memory back. So my highest ever one V one is diamond, mm, but nice team games I had masters, but I really liked it. Like, yeah. There's this level of metagaming, and then you could like try to deceive the other player mm-hmm. and like playing against people who are really like paying attention and know what to look for is fun because you can try to trick them. But it's been a long while since I've played. Yeah. I imagine that you playing is much different than me playing. You're probably like hitting tons of keys to do a ton of stuff automated, like as quick as you can. Whereas I'm like, click a thing do a thing <laughs> yeah yeah as Zerg, there's a lot of things you have to do like every 30 seconds yeah so and you have to hit like three keys just to like make a unit right like select the hatchery like find a larva do a like whatever i don't know yeah so for me it was like the number four and then q and then whichever button it was to make the unit so nice yeah i see chuck is tired of this talk so we can <laughs> move on to <laughs> something else games i mean games are fun i'm interested i'll try it out i will never get to those levels what retro games have you been playing chuck on this new box so what started this whole thing i don't even know how it came up but sarah talked about how when she was a kid they had the aladdin game on super nintendo she's like i'd love to play that again and my brother is very into retro gaming and so i was like i'll hit him up i'm sure he has some solution to this and he's like Oh, yeah, actually, I've been making these recall boxes for my employees at work, like as kind of like a nice thank you to them or whatever. I'll just make you guys one. So it's just a little like Dell desktop that you plug into your TV, get a USB controller and fire away. Nice. And it's got a, everything from like Atari 2600 to like, I think it, ha- it has PSP and PS2s, but we haven't really graduated to that yet. Ooh, PSP. Yeah. My son has been playing Sonic and Sonic 2, so on Genesis or the Master System. I played those. <laughs> yeah. And I was playing, like, on Super Nintendo, they had a bunch of Star Wars games for each of yes. the original trilogy. I've been playing those because I loved those games. Mm-hmm. I really want to play Conker's Bad Fur Day, though, on the N64. Like, I remember playing that in my early 20s and was just like, oh, this game is amazing. It's so funny. And fun. So those are all on my list, I guess. Nice. Yeah. The recall box. I mean, it's like so simple. You can actually put it on a Raspberry Pi. Uh, it's all open source stuff. You can buy like a setup from them if you want. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's just like open source, slap it on there, plug it into your TV and get a cheap controller. It's a pretty nice setup. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I would be interested in. I think it's the company is called Analog. We may have talked about this before. Mm. That makes like the new Game Boys and Nintendos and stuff. But they're not released yet, right? They're all pre-sale right now. No, they're released, but there's like a huge 
pre-sale waiting list. Like some people have them, oh. but production is not very fast. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. But that's what I want. Well, this emulator has Game Boy on it too. Because like I have a lot of cartridges and I like for some reason like having the real cartridge. Oh, yeah. But I see. Yeah. Do you like blowing on it too if it doesn't work? <laughs> well, funny thing. <laughs> we actually cleaned one with alcohol one time and it worked mm-hmm. amazing. And then like two days later, it never worked again. Oh, no. If you read the back, it says like, never clean this with alcohol. <laughs> Specifically. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we didn't read that first, but. Yeah. Yeah. My brother had a whole business where he'd go to thrift stores and get old game systems and games and stuff and resell them on eBay mm-hmm. until there was this virus. It was like his side business. People didn't want games. Uh, he couldn't go to like Goodwills and stuff, so he couldn't get inventory. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Turns out that's hard. Anyway, recall box. Well, I've kind of abandoned retro games. <laughs> I really like the new tech. They're a lot of work. Yeah. If you've ever played uh, like Elder Scrolls games, like you go back to Morrowind and you have to read everything. Mm-hmm. What? Oh. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do that. I, I want the people to talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, last game where I read everything was Control. And that came out, I think, in 2019. Mm. I don't know. I was just really into the lore of that game. Because, like, all these documents from all the different employees of the Bureau are really cool. You can kind of just piece together what their day-to-day activities were. And kind of just the the craziness of a office building that changes its rooms and changes its shapes. And then maybe one day locks you in the bathroom for a week. This <laughs> <laughs> is really fun to read about. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds cool. So we're about at time here. Is there anything we missed? Anything you would like to plug? Other projects that you're working on we didn't talk about? Causes you care about? Anything you want to let people know? Uh, that's a big ask. <laughs> you can say nothing, too. You don't have to say anything. Just in case you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, nothing really on the, on the tip of my tongue. But I guess try out Ember Resources if you haven't already. It solves a lot of problems. Cool. Cool. Sounds good. Well, thanks everybody for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.